Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Mountain View Church, Sunnyside. For gathering times and location, find us at sunnyside.mountainview.org. My name is Ken. If we've never met, thanks so much for being here today. I'd love to meet you after service. I will be outside, uh, and I'd love to meet you in the parking lot. Uh, As you sit down, there's probably post-its and pens around where you are. Those are for you. So grab the pen, grab the post-it, write your name, write your number on there. And then as you walk out, uh, we've got a bunch of sign-ups for a bunch of stuff. Uh, They are life groups, and some of them are serve teams. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is where all the life change happens. It's not in here in rows. It's serving and living in circles with other people. So as you've got a desire for more of who God is, check out those options in the back. Put your post-it on there. Somebody will be in contact with you this week to say, hey, this is when your group is starting. This is when serving looks like for you starting. And as a church, we can step into that, and I'm excited for that. All right, we are in week four of our series talking about seven good things. And if you look behind me, that, that doesn't look like good things, like red and death and dark. and says, like, how is this good things? It's good things because of what we said every week from the very beginning. Is all of these things start as a good thing for all of us. And when a good thing becomes a God thing, like that thing for us that that creates our worth, that creates our identity, that creates the one thing that everything in us strives to achieve, that becomes a God thing. That becomes our source of worship. As humans, we're made to worship something. And when what we can do or when the byproduct of a good thing that God gives us becomes our God thing, that's always a bad thing. Always a bad thing. And so we've looked at different good things that come into our lives and then we elevate them into God things and how that brings destruction. And for us today, we're going to do that again. And the good thing for this week, the good thing that we're leaning into, the good thing that we're excited about this week is God's creation for you and for me, that he made all of us with a purpose, but also with a job to do. He made us with a desire for greatness. When God created Adam, the first person, and plopped him in the garden, before he brought a wife into his life, before he talked to God and like they, they had a relationship, before there was forgiveness, Adam had a job. Adam had a purpose. At one point, some of Jesus' followers come up to him, and they want to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He changes what their perception of greatness is. And so for all of us, that's a God-given desire that's inside of you and me. is to not make a mess of our lives. To be great at something. To achieve. To do well. But the thing is, not all achievements, not all getting stuff done, not all greatness is created equally. And so when our greatness doesn't look like somebody else's and we start looking sideways more than we start looking up ahead, that's where the God thing happens, where we worship what we can do, where we worship how we compare to other people. And when a good thing, like a desire to achieve and a desire to be great becomes a God thing, that's always a bad thing. And when that happens around around envy, when that happens around greatness, it always results in envy. Envy, a simple definition, one one liner that we can remember from today. Envy is, is really easy. It's when you're sad because they're happy. Whatever you, whoever they is in your life. You look around, you look on your phone, you look at other people, their life, their relationships, their house, their car, their feed, and you're like, I'm not happy because they look really happy right now in that picture. 
You don't know that after the picture is taken, they go back to fighting. They don't know that the house that looks so nice, they are fully upside down in. We don't know that, but we're sad because they're not. Whoever they is for us. And if we build our lives on this, what our theme verse has said, we build our lives on this, it's going to leave us thirsty. Jesus is having a conversation with somebody in John 4 who's built her life on something that isn't going to last. And he tells her something that's truthful. He tells her something that's going to lead her to life. Media team will put it up on the screen. This is the verse that's been up each week. Jesus is talking in verse uh, John 4, 13. He says, anyone who drinks this water, he's talking about physical, real dihydrogen monoxide, H2O water. This water will soon become thirsty again. We build our lives on looking better than other people and just let envy ruin us. We're going to spend our lives thirsty. And no one is exempt from this. Not even kings. You got your Bible? Go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, but you have a smartphone and you got one of those papers as you walked in, scan the QR code that doesn't lead you to the podcast. That'll take you right there to a website that you can use for all your Bible reading. And we're going to look at a story of two kings. Two kings, we've learned from the theologian, Jerry Springer, is kind of like two girlfriends or two significant others. It's going to end in fights. It might not be pulled hair and scratched nails. With kings, it's usually armies and beheadings, and Steve-O is there to break all of it up at the end. And what the two kings in this one, the first one, his name is Saul. Saul is the first king of Israel. They asked God for a king. God said, you don't need a king. You have me. And they said, but we want a king. And so God is like, okay, I'm going to give you Saul. And Saul is king. And part of Saul being king is protecting his people and making sure his people don't get run over and ransacked and enslaved by other countries. And the other country in this story is a country uh, named Philistine. And they had a giant, his name was Goliath, and he said, if any of your people can fight me and kill me, we're all going to become your slaves. But if I kill that one person, you're all going to become our slaves. And so Saul was paralyzed, and he did nothing. And then one day, a boy named David walked up. He said, that guy is not just defying us, he's defying the Lord. And I will fight this giant, and I will kill this giant, and I will cut off his head with my sword. Parents, if your sons are bored with the Bible, you're reading them the wrong stories, all right? This is a little boy, big sword, off with his head. This is a good story. And so in 1 Samuel 17, David fights Goliath, and Goliath dies. David kills him, and the Philistines go from being the oppressors to the enslaved people. And then this begins to unfold. Because Saul, who is king, doesn't like the fact that David has been anointed by God to be the next king. It's two kings now, which is too many kings. And as they go back from the battle, we begin to see Saul's life unraveling. We begin to see what's in his heart start to come up. It's that moment where things aren't okay anymore. If you, uh, if you watched the football game yesterday or last week, there's a time where the Lions were up. I think it was 24 to 7. It was their 17-point lead. Purdy throws the ball deep. Ayuk goes to get it. He misses it. And what happened? We got a picture of it right now. It goes off the defender's face. And then Ayuk catches it, and a few plays later, they score. I'm a Lions fan. I'm cheering for this game at the moment. I thought, like, okay, I think we can hold them to a field goal. This is going to be good. We're going to be okay. But in reality, what was happening was Detroit was beginning to Detroit again in the most Detroit way possible. And what was a 17-point, like, lead turned into what? They lost by 6 or 10 or it doesn't matter. They lost. 
This is that moment for David and for Saul. Saul is the guy in blue, and he knows it's all about to fall apart. And God is going to rise David to the top because David is God's anointed person. He's his anointed king. And for Saul, his life begins to fall apart in three different ways for three different reasons. First of those reasons we see in uh, starting in verse 6. 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 6. It says, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced with joy, with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And this made Saul very angry. What is this? He said, they credit David with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they're going to be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The first way it destroyed him is that envy destroys our part of good things. Destroys our part of good things. Like none of this started welling up in Saul when they were still under enslavement, when it still looked like they were going to lose their liberty as a nation. Envy always follows success. Think about it. If we're talking about it in football terms again, nobody today is thinking, man, I wish I was on the Lions. I wish I blew a 17-point lead in front of all of America, and everybody's like, just kick the field goal. The coach is like, we're going for it, and they didn't make it. Nobody wants that. We want to be the winner. We don't get envy over disasters. We get envious over the things that work. And so for Saul, what tricked him, what, what pushed him over the edge was other people's applause. I think if he knew these women by name, it would have said these women by name. But it just said the women, which means it's strangers. Strangers are excited about who God rose up from their ranks to save the nation. And Saul's like, why aren't they singing about me? And here's the thing. It looks totally ridiculous and totally stupid when it's in the Bible. But when it's our life, it's like, well, that just isn't right. They shouldn't be treating me this way. It's so easy to see it in somebody else, but it doesn't work for us. Envy destroys our part of good things because we see what's happening for someone else. And we're sad because they're not sad. We're sad because it seems to be working out for them. It's like Saul, we won, but I'm not getting the credit from strangers. And so it ruins us. It starts to turn our heart from light and life to darkness and death. And once envy gets us, it hooks us deep because envy destroys our emotions. It destroys our emotions. Verse 10. It says, the very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his household like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Skip a paragraph, and it says, David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful in leading his troops into battle. It sounds like peace is coming, right? If you look at the nation, it sounds like they're going from instability to stability, from fear to freedom. Everything is good except for Saul because it's not him that they're singing about. It's not him who's the hero. 
and he wishes that he was someone else. He wishes that his life was more like David's. And so this was either going to destroy Saul or it was going to destroy David. And envy opens the door for the devil to destroy people. Like it starts with comparison. It starts with hatred. And then it grows without resistance, with no brake pedal. It was growing in Saul's life to the point where somebody was going to die. It was just a question of who. But the thing with envy and with destruction is it doesn't always start with the individual. It usually starts close to home, though. I mean, for Saul, he had three kids that come up in the story. The first is, is his older daughter named Merba, and that's a name that we don't use anymore, and that's okay. But she was, she was collateral in, in Saul's life because he said, if anybody can defeat Goliath, the giant, I'm going to give my daughter to him as a wife. And so she's, she's growing up, going through all this. Her dad's going crazy, and she knows that she is going to be given away to a boy that she doesn't know. That when he comes of age, they're, they're going to get married, and she has no say in this. But then Saul's heart turns, and he gets angry at David. He, he desires, he, like his plan is to bring David close to get him as a son-in-law, and then he begins to hate him. And so he takes this daughter who's pledged to this man and rips him away from her and sends her to somebody else because now he wants to get David far from him. As that daughter, Merba, is being moved from one husband to the next one, Merba's younger sister, Michael, has a heart for David. She falls in love with David. She gets married to David. The only problem with her and David is her dad, David's father-in-law, Saul, who wants to kill his son-in-law. And so she becomes a pawn in their war. That's not how to love your daughters, to use them as a vehicle to destroy their husband. And so her life is ruined. And then Saul has a son. His name is Jonathan. And Jonathan's unfortunate lot in life is he's the heir to the throne and he's David's best friend. And Saul's heart turns against his own son, and he verbally abuses and tries to kill his own son because he hates his son's best friend, his son-in-law, an army or a warrior in Saul's army. And what had happened was envy had gotten in, and envy had opened the door for the devil to destroy people that were close to Saul. Eventually, Saul paid for his envy. Eventually, everything came to account. But the thing is, is everybody else around Saul paid for it a lot sooner than he did. They were the collateral damage because of Saul's envy. For those of us who are parents, I think one of the joys of uh, being a parent is to see the good stuff in your life passed down to the next generation. You know, the ways that your kids like to do the things that you like to do. But the reality for all of us as parents is we don't get to check off the things we want passed down like we're ordering pizza. You know, we, we, they get what we give. Today, for some of you, is a day to cut off the generational sin of envy in your life. That your kids don't inherit that from you. That they get peace instead. They get joy instead. They get gratitude instead. That a legacy of envy stops with you. You can say this far and no more. It's not going to continue past me. And it's not even going to continue in me because I'm going to ask Jesus to heal me. For me, we, we talk about regeneration a lot. And, and last week I said that serve teams is where you empty yourself. That's where we use the gifts that God gives us. It's where we get tired for Jesus' sake. 
And then life groups are where we get better. That life groups are where we can be selfish because we show up to leave better. That sounds selfish. And God's like, yep, that's exactly why I made it. And one of these groups where we leave, where we show up to leave better is regeneration. It's our church's recovery program. And I've done it twice. The first time was by my decision. And then after I finished, Pastor Fred said, the whole staff is going through. So I'm like, all right, just made a a U-turn in region. Just back to ground one or back to week one. Did it a second time. But one of the things that God worked on in me in that group was the whole issue of envy for me. I am an expert in everybody else's brilliance and the areas in everybody else's life where they're geniuses. I see all the good stuff, which means that in myself, I only see the mess. So I'm an expert at looking how good everybody else is and then only seeing my disaster and letting that dictate how I think about myself. And so in God's goodness, God used the second tour through region to start to pull this out of me, to try to identify, to start to identify where this came from and what this is leading to and to give me the choice to change. We're going to hear a little bit more about that in a little bit. But as you leave today, one of the things you can sign up for is write your name and your number on the post-it and then stick it under the black thing that says regeneration. It meets on Tuesdays and February is intake month. For you to see a 10-month journey of God making you more like him through all the areas in our life where we are convinced that we're good. Jesus knows that we need freedom, even from the things that we think are part of us. He says, it's not more part of you than I can be part of you. And so he leads us out of that. So with envy and with everything else, we got seven decisions that you and I can make today to walk out of envy and walk to Jesus. And the first one of those is to become a Christian today. This means that we believe that Jesus' death on the cross that J.D. talked about earlier so well, that death was for us. That through that death and through that resurrection, we can have a relationship with Jesus. We can have a relationship with God because the sin that separated us from a relationship with God was paid for in total past, present, and future by our God who hung on a tree for us. That he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So the step one in you defeating envy in your life is to become a Christian. Step two is to recommit your life to Jesus today. Let's go back to our, uh, our theme verse from John chapter 4. Jesus says that if you drink this, you're going to soon be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And I mentioned this last week, it's still true. If there's a bubbling spring inside of you, 99 times out of 100, that's bad because it doesn't usually stay inside of you. Jesus is different. He's saying, I'm going to change the way you think. I'm going to change the way you live. I'm going to change the way that you act. Not just because I'm going to lead you through discipline and white-knuckling it. You're going to force yourself to get better. But through repentance and recommitting, your life is going to change. For all of us, when, when we say yes to Jesus and we turn from sin and we turn to Jesus, it's not just our best getting better. It's a death to our old life and fresh life in Jesus as he leads us out of destruction and into restoration. It's God's work inside of you and me, and that's what happens when we U-turn out of envy and come back to Jesus, come back to gratitude. Third way is to become a Jonathan. I mentioned earlier that Jonathan is the heir to the throne. He's going to be the next king. He's the prince, and when the king dies, the prince becomes the king. But Jonathan saw in David God's anointing. 
Jonathan saw in David that God had chosen David to be the next king. And so Jonathan had a choice. He could kill David or he could become a friend to David. And he chose to become a friend to David at his own expense. Like Jonathan lost the most in this story because he went from being king to standing with his friend, standing with his father, and eventually giving his life for the country. But he didn't stand in the way of what God wanted to do. Gracia is going to come up, uh, and she's going to share. And part of what she's sharing is the way that her life became a vehicle and a vessel for God's work, just like Jonathan, that we can stand in resistance or we can live in submission to what God wants to do in us and through us. So let's get up for Gracia as she comes up. Uh, so, hi, my name is Grecia, and I have a new life in Christ. God is recovering me from sexual sin, or he has recovered me from sexual sin, pride, and control. From the age of three, sexual sin took over my life, causing harms trauma, uh, and trauma to myself and to those I love the most. This jump-started my desire for control of how I was perceived by others through lying, the desire to comfort myself, and pride. At the age of eight, my father began taking our family to church, and at the age of 12, I was baptized. My relationship with Christ could best be described as having a pen pal. There was times when we were in constant communication and then silence for long periods of time. When I went to college, uh, my faith began to waver as I began struggling with sexual morality of various kinds, trying to belong and feel happy. Uh, wanting control in every area of my life and trying to figure out who I was. I remember making the conscious decision that it was okay to have fun. And from that moment forward, I began to separate myself from God. For the next 10 years of my life, I lived a homosexual lifestyle. I became prideful, did as I pleased, abused drugs and alcohol. Lying became second nature. I cut myself off from the church and from my own family. For years, I lived in the lie of the enemy that I was not sinning because all I was doing was loving someone and that I deserved to do what would make me happy. Yet, I was depressed. I found myself desperately searching to be loved, fit in, made whole, and find purpose in my life. I tried to fill this never-ending void through sex, drugs, alcohol, people, things, work, and coaching. Throughout that time, I would find myself being convicted of the uh, homosexual relationship I was in and choosing to be in, but I would tell myself the same lie the enemy told me that I had too much to lose if I surrendered this aspect of my life to God. I had dug myself so deep in my sins and idols of sexual morality, pleasure, pride, and control, and comfort that a few months before my life completely changed, I remember telling God that if I had to go to hell because of the lifestyle I was choosing to live, then it was okay. The verse that best describes the next part of my life is um, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. On December 25th, 2022, my life, relationships, sins, and idols I had fought so hard to protect left me completely broken. I never felt more unloved, rejected, betrayed, alone, and lost. I found myself one night um, in my living room contemplating suicide, crying out, what is all this for if I'll never have anyone who will truly love me? At that moment, God came to me and said, I'm here and I love you. 
that night, I fully surrendered my life and every part of me to God. I began going back to church with my family. I remember one Sunday listening to a woman speak about her experience with Regen about the same time uh, last year and how it transformed her life. The truth was I had surrendered to God, but I didn't know what or how to even take the first steps to healing and building a relationship with Christ. I could not explain it, but I just felt like I needed to join Regen. And from that very first Tuesday night, I didn't know what to expect, but I was all in. What God has done in my life since joining Regen is nothing short of a miracle. God transformed me from the inside out. Jesus broke the chains and delivered me from the homosexual desires and other sexual morality that once made me its slave. He filled me with a new desire to have a husband and a family. He has unburdened my heart and healed me of all my harms, traumas, and pains. I no longer look to alcohol or drugs to comfort me. Anger no longer controls me or my tongue because he filled me with his joy and peace. He has delivered me from pride and the desire for control as I humble myself and surrender all my worries, anxieties, and expectations to him. He took my pieces and he made me whole through his love, mercy, and grace. If there is anything I want you to take from my testimony, it's this. The devil thought he had trapped me. And chained me in the pit I dug for myself after choosing to reject God for all those years. But when I was at my lowest point and all I could offer God was my shattered pieces, he still came after me, told me I was loved and redeemed. The verse that stood out to me throughout this journey that I now know I was meant to go through in order to be here right now at this very moment with all of you is Isaiah 43:13. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone from my hand. No one can undo what I have done. Thank you. Uh, let's stretch out our hands and pray for Gessia. Jesus, thank you that you are in the business of changing lives. Thank you that you are the freedom giver, the bondage breaker, the chain breaker, and the one who makes us new. We pray that you continue to do that in Gessia. Continue to fan and to flame the gift of evangelism that you've given her in church, at school, and everywhere where you send her. And I pray that you continue uh, to flow out of her rivers of living water because there's a lot of people in the world who need you, and you're sending her to them. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So that's out on the big board as you leave today. You can sign up for regeneration. It's 10 months. And if you think that's really long, let's be honest, you've carried your crap for a lot longer than 10 months. <laughs> this is the easy way out, right? Okay. We got one person in here who's 10 months old. The rest of us, man, it's on us. Next thing is re-educate yourself on God's grace in your life. You are God's child. God loves you. God has gifted you through the whole, if you're a Christian, you are gifted through the Holy Spirit to get work done in this year. But here's, get, get your work done in this world. But here's the thing. You're not an only child, which means there's other gifts that God has given to other people that don't look like yours, but you still have a gift. This was huge for me, being able to look at other people, see all their greatness, and just like know all of my mistakes. And so when I was in Regen, one of the things that God led me to and said, hey, you should do this, is that year leading up to Easter, I made a list of every area in my life where I felt like God said, hey, I want you to do this because you're the only one who can do this. You're the only one who can live out this unique giftedness, whether it was go to this person's funeral, it wasn't yours, or do this in this situation or whatever. And so I just made a list. This is how God has uniquely wired me. 
I'm not the pastor down the street. I'm not the husband over there. This, this is Ken. We, it's been probably like a month since we've talked about Next Up, which is our campaign of generosity to fund a bunch of stuff. So it's time to talk about Next Up. Uh, like all of us, I made, Anna and I made a pledge of what we know we can, we, we can give over the next year and one month. And then there's a miracle line above that. To like, I don't know how this is going to come in, but I'm praying that this comes in. And so I made a list of the areas where I'm asking God uh, to provide for us miraculously and things that have happened that I didn't expect. I'm going to write them down because I'm going to remind myself of God's grace and God's miraculous power to me. Uh, and if it fills up two pages, like seriously, I don't know what to do because the next one's black. So if I just run out there, I'll just pick another page somewhere and I'll write it on there. It's a reminder of God's miraculous grace in my life. And you're not different same God who continues to give good gifts to his kids, who aren't only kids. We're not only children, but we're still children. And God's going to give those to us. Next thing is pour fuel on other people's abilities. This is we become a cheerleader. We become excited about what God is doing in us and around us, what God's doing in other people. I remember down to the parking lot where we were standing when somebody told me, hey, I think you should look into pastoral ministry. I know exactly who it was. I know the color of car behind him. I know exactly where we were standing in the parking lot. And the last 20 plus years have just been continuing to say yes to that. Somebody put fuel on my fire and that got me here. And you're no different. You've got fuel you can dump on other people's lives for them to live into the destiny to which Jesus is calling them. The only difference between you and my guy is your name's probably not Kurt. Okay, so you are you, and there's people in your life who you, whose life you need to dump fuel on to see them become the men and women that Jesus created them to be. Next one, four simple words. We've talked about it a bunch. We don't need to explain it anymore. Get off social media. Okay, that's good. That's number six. And then number seven is keep track of the good things that God does in your life. We're going to sing in a little bit. And the song we're going to sing is just like all the other songs that we've sung. It reminds us of God's goodness and the things that God has done in our lives. Gratitude kills envy. Thankfulness kills envy. Worship kills envy. And God, because he loves us, gives us practical things we can do to kill envy. Let's stand and pray. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more, you can find us at sunnyside.mountainview.org. Now let's go be a church that makes Jesus look good.